but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be magnified or manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. A burglar slipped into the house in the dark of night and as he went into a room he, he entered a room where there was a big parrot in a cage and the, bur and the parrot cried burglar burglar as the burglar slipped into the room burglar burglar he shouted unnoticed by the burglar a Slipping into the room were two of the meanest Dobermans you could ever imagine. And by another door, silently, they made their way into the room. Burglar, burglar, shouted the parrot. And the burglar, thoroughly disgusted, looked up from where he was stuffing some silverware in a sack and said, You stupid bird, is that the only word you know? And the parrot answered, no, I know, sick him. <laughs> now, now th this is kind of a sickum sermon, really, this morning. Uh, on high attendance day, when everybody is pumped and, and positive, I thought it would be a good idea to, to, to do something positive and upbeat and challenging. And this sermon has a title. It's called Life's Imperatives, but it has a subtitle. And the subtitle is, Get a Life. It's something that kids say often, get a life. I want to suggest how you can get a life. First of all, grow out and not grow in. One of the most remarkable things about the apostle is, is that this man was brutalized 
after he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And he gives an explanation as to why that was true. In verse 15, he says, All of this is for your sakes. And I thought I would look into the epistles of the Apostle Paul to find the secret of his life. And I found in every epistle save one the explanation of what drove this man. And it is described in two phrases. For your sakes, he said, or for the gospel's sake. I ask you, how far does your compassion go? Now there's an implication this morning concerning growing out and not growing in. It has to do with that our compassion becomes more than just talk. How far does your compassion reach? Uh, Kimmel in his marvelous little book, Little House by the Freeway, he tells about an area where he lives out near Phoenix called the Camelback Mountain Range, so named because it looks like a camel resting. And behind the Camelback Range is what is called Echo Canyon, huge canyons that plummet way down into the earth with high sides or cliffs, very dangerous. And one day he was out um, uh, near the Camelback uh, Range and he saw a flurry of activity and it was way off in the distance but he could see that, that people were hurrying to the edge of this high cliff and they were looking over the cliff and it, it was obvious that someone had fallen. And he said it just in a matter of moments there was this search and rescue operation went into effect and just hundreds of people just converged on that scene. And he said that with binoculars he could see these people up on the ridge and they were at walkie-talkies and they were uh, preparing to try to rescue this man who had fallen uh, into that deep ravine. Couldn't just put a rope down there to get him, he was injured. And so a helicopter came in. After just a little bit, a helicopter appeared over Camelback Ridge and hovered over that ravine. And a man went down with a rescue basket to get this person. And he said within a matter of moments, hundreds of people had converged on this scene to rescue one fallen man. And when I was growing up, I, uh, I lived in a rural culture. This is one of these uh, illustrations how it used to be types. I, I lived in a rural uh, culture in, a, in the 50s. And in the 50s, Friendships were, um, just came naturally. It was so much easier. I mean, on Sundays, my mother would prepare lunch for the preacher almost every Sunday, and there would be this retinue of, of friends that would come to our house, and folks that I knew, and adults and young people alike. And so friendships were, just, just came naturally. But in this uh, urban culture and fragmented society in which we live, these friendships, these circles of love and compassion are, are more elusive. And to develop relationships and friendships that reach out to the fallen and to the hurting comes much more difficult and it requires a tremendous amount of effort and energy and concentration and commitment and compassion to let our compassion go beyond ourselves to reach out our arms to others. So I say to you, who are outside on the periphery, there, those of you who are outside of the circumference of what you might call the community of God or the church, 
we want you and you need us. And I say to us who are within this circumference of believers called the church, our compassion has to go beyond words, has to go beyond platitudes and reach out to include those who have fallen, grow out and not in. Get alive, secondly. Grow up, but not old. Now the Apostle Paul makes a remarkable statement in verse 16. He said, though the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. And what he was saying was that I'm getting older and younger at the same time. My hair's getting gray, but my spirit isn't. My eyes are growing dim, but my vision is getting brighter. So that while I'm getting old, I'm getting young, my inner man is renewed. Something's happening in this service this morning that's very dynamic, I think. These guys are coming into this service and, and, and sitting in the aisles here, and they've just been in one of the most, probably most exciting places they've been in a long time. As a group of men converged on Texas Stadium, and, and they're called the Promise Keepers, etc. And something is happening here this morning that is reviving my spirit, uh, making me feel a little bit younger. I, I, I don't know whether you know this or not, but I was tapping my foot there. There's a little bit more than usual. Now, it's easy for us to get old, and I'm not talking about just getting old with regard to you know, years that you've lived. I'm talk, when I talk about getting old, I'm talking about a tired cynicism and criticism. I'm talking about becoming negative. I'm talking about becoming stale and, and stagnant and boring. I'm talking about becoming so congealed and so fixed that we're afraid to change and we don't want change and we're afraid to try anything new or reach out for anything different because we're totally satisfied with the status quo. That, to me, is getting old. I, uh, I don't know whether you remember all in the family or not, but Archie and Edith, I pity these guys here in the middle here, who missed out on Archie and Edith. Now, Archie was this cynic. And one day he looks at Edith and he says, you look at people and you see somebody beautiful. I see a blimp. And Edith said, yeah, Archie, ain't that too bad? Isn't it too bad that all we can see are the tragedies and the problems and the wrong in the world? Isn't it too bad? that we become so cold and cynical and caustic that all we can recognize are the wrong. What do you think about when you think of a child? I think of innocency, naive attitude. I think of a person who is willing to trust others. Who is, I think when I, when, I, when I think of children, I think of a very real person. There's no... Now there's a difference between growing up and internally controlled young people instead of externally managed on the basis of an inner core of virtues. You don't have to have your parents tell you what to do. Husbands just do what the Bible wants them to do. They just do. This inner life, this intuition that's in every person just to, uh, the rule book checking it off. You know what I'm saying? Cal Thomas, best things in life. Or uh, what, what is the name of that book? Somebody says, the greatest power on earth is not what outsiders do to us, but what we do to our Savior. Or force a man to be a real father to his children, or to these things for themselves, to be masters of their own circumstances. 
We don't need to be more influence on our lives than that which we bring to our lives and those closest to us. Back between those short-term, seemingly pleasurable experiences that promise. And what he's saying is this, that somewhere we have to grow up and begin to honest. Maturing and growing up means moving from reaction to lives for what we believe and what we do. Grow up strong but not bitter. Now if you read the story of man was persecuted, not just by those who were on the outside, was a man brutalized. The fact that you really deserve that promotion, but your manager it may be that gossip who won't let you live base. It may be that wayward child that it may be that tape that goes off in your mind. You used to hear your father say all the time, you're a marriage that just haunts you. I mean, they're all the, the, the remarkable thing about the Apostle Paul was that he didn't get bitter. Clues in this text. One clue is is that he didn't focus on things temporal. It's happening to us, but that's not where our focus is. I knew that he was going to die on the cross, and for three years he set his face toward that purpose. He came to an acceptance, not resignation, to the cross with calm, peace, tranquility, and power. Folks, things don't always turn out like we want them to. The class of 57, the song goes like this. Tommy's selling used cars and life insurance and part-time real estate. And the class of 57 had its dream ward and Mary's own welfare. Charlie took a job with Ford. Joe took Freddie's. Our goals are not, I, they're not, move on. There's no place for wimps. Bitter about life if he lives his life serving other people. One last thought, please. He said, this, this that we're enduring, this that we're going through in this, at the end when the bottom line is drawn, what is beyond here is beyond comparison to what is here. Seminole, Texas, and he preached a stewardship sermon on, on the five loaves. Those 12 baskets represent the dividend. The fragments that remain, that was the dividend of the sacrifice. Now, his business, his son was an accountant. He said to him one day, he said, Dad, I don't know how you run this business. He said, now I've got a sister that's an art teacher, I've got a brother that's a lawyer, and you're a kid. Now, now let, me, let me say, sometimes, you know, line, we have to determine what we have that can never be lost. Going out to speak at a retreat, and he, tourists, and so as he got out to the retreat center during the week, he couldn't get that. And he turned down a road, and he came to a little bitty village, a little town. That's what was written. But he said he kept going, and he, he didn't see anything, so he went back. He saw this old farm. It's going to be when I get there, and then you're disappointed. Well, that's the way it was. Wasn't anything there. The foundation of a house. And he went back in over writing words of the hymn. And he began to sing it and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me okay now last stanza we'll sing a last stanza sing it with me
to me very carefully. You haven't got a life until you've come to the cross of Jesus Christ and you've appropriated by faith what he made possible, what he provided there for you. And you haven't got a life until you've given up the one you have for the glory that he makes available, both in this life and in the life to come. I ask you this morning to get a life. We're going to sing this hymn of our, as our invitation. And I want to plead with you today if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ come and accept him as your Savior and Lord commit yourself to him and maybe you've gotten stale and cold and hard and cynical I'm going to invite you to come this morning to begin to live again to find abundant life that's in Christ comes in the giving of yourself to serving Him and others. Maybe you've lost the joy of, your, of His salvation. Come and renew that commitment. Make those promises to God that you can keep. Or maybe you need, under the call of God, to place your life in this church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.